If you uh, would, take your Bible out and turn with me to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. As, as you're turning there, uh, think, why don't you just for a moment to think uh, back in your life. Think back to those in whom God has placed as authorities in your life. Maybe it's a, a supervisor, maybe it's a, uh, a boss, maybe it's a... Just think through those, those people that God has placed in your lives through the years. You know, I, as, as you think about them, think about their, their leadership style. Like, think about those God's placed over you and how they've, how they've led you. Um, you know, I, I think there's a big difference as, as I think back in my own life about those God has placed over me as supervisors or superiors or bosses or managers. And there, there seems to be... Two major camps that I, I, if I wanted to try and identify or classify those that God has placed as leaders in my life. And there, there are those that I would refer to as bosses and those that I refer to as leaders. And I think there's a big difference there. A, a boss is someone that just tells you what to do. Like a boss sits there and says, okay, you just go do this, this, and this. This is what I want you to do. Um, but then a leader, on the other hand, not only tells you what to do, but they say, they, they show you what to do. Like, they, they model the way. They say, follow my example. Don't just do what I say, but do as I do. And I think there's a big difference in that. I think there's, you know, if you're following a boss, it, it's easy for us to follow a boss and just become disheartened. It's easy for us to find lack of energy or to become overwhelmed at the task. Where when you're following a leader who's leading by example, it's easy to come alongside them because they're working as hard as you. They're working with you, and it feels like there's more of a team that's moving in the right direction. Well, I give you those two examples because I, I think if we look to Scripture, we see that Jesus was the ultimate leader, right? Jesus is, is the, great, the greatest example to us. And Jesus himself says, don't, don't do as I say, but do as I do. So everything that Jesus instructs us to do is he's coming from a place of having already experienced it and having already walked that walk. So when he stands before his disciples as he's getting ready to send back in heaven in Matthew chapter 28, and he says, go make disciples of all nations, he's not coming from a place as a, as a boss where he's saying, go do this. He's coming from a place of saying, follow my example. Because that's what Jesus did. Jesus lived his life on mission with the Father and on mission for the Father. That was his, his direction in life. That was the path in which he lived daily. We, we look to Jesus and say, okay, well, okay, I, I can follow the example of Jesus, but Jesus was God, right? That, that's great. I'm glad that Jesus was able to do that, but that's not attainable in my own life. I can't live like that because I'm not God. And then Paul comes along. Now, that's who we've been looking at for the past few weeks. We've been looking at Paul, and I think Paul gives us a great example of being this type of leader. Not a boss, but a leader. Someone that has, has struggled in their walk to, to know what Christ commands, to follow the example of Christ, and yet set an example for the church. And so as, as Paul writes the book of Romans, as he's coming to the close, he says to the church, he says, follow my example. Though Christ is the perfect example... And though I'm not perfect, you can follow my example. Know my heart for the church and follow in that same way. 
And so last week, as we began uh, looking at the close of the book of Romans, we see Paul stating this, follow my example. And he's gonna give, he gives us four ways in which to follow his example in regards to the church and in regards to mission. And last week, as we, we looked at part of chapter 15, one of the things that we saw as we are to follow Paul's example was to build the church. Paul had eyes to see. He continually had eyes to see those that were not yet part of the kingdom of God, those that were not yet part of the family of God. And his heart was driven towards connecting those people to Christ, to communicating the words of Christ to them and living it out amongst them, collecting them together in a thing called the church and helping them know what it means to follow in relationship with Christ and in relationship with others. So he has this main desire to build the church, and that really motivates everything. It's this desire that he lays over all of his life activities. And so today we're going to see, first, our, our desire as followers of Christ should be to build the church. The second thing I want us to see, is, which is new, is that we are to serve Christ through serving the church. Look with me in Romans chapter 15, verse 22. Paul writes, this is the reason why I've so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any work, any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you. Once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints from Macedonia and Achaia. They have placed, they have been pleased to make some contributions for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles had, have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be at service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in fullness of the blessings of, blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers... By our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. So what we see here is, is Paul's overarching desire to advance the kingdom of God, to build the church, that superseded everything in his life, and it had direct impact on every single one of his plans. God's, or Paul's desire to see the kingdom of God expand impacted every single one of his plans. We see from here, Paul saw himself as a servant of the church. That was the role that he took on. He was a servant of Christ and a servant of the church. In other words, he was a slave to the church. He saw that his identity was so connected to the mission of God. It is what he became and what he did. And he had a vision for the Great Commission. And he had plans to help bring about the gospel or to share the gospel that those who have not yet heard. And also his plans were to encourage and instruct the church. If we read through and we we track the life of Paul, we see that he was very strategic in everything that he did. He had goals and dreams and desires and plans in his life, not only for the short term, but for the long term. His desire, as we see here in other places, his long-term desire was to go to Rome. 
It was been his desire for a long time. He wanted to go to visit those uh, Christians that were in Rome. He wanted to share the gospel, encourage the saints. But then we also see that not only did he want to go to Rome, but his, his long-term plans was, I'm going, to come back to, I'm going to come to Rome, we're going to spend some time together, and I'm going to take some of you Romans, and we're going to go to Spain. We're going to continue to push the outskirts of the kingdom of God. That was his heart's desire. Because it was his heart's desire, it impacted some of his plans. But we see here Paul, though he wants to go to, go to Rome and eventually go on to Spain, he says, I've worked really, really hard. He says, I, 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 I've wanted to come to you, but I couldn't come to you because I could not rationalize the fact of between me and, and Jerusalem where he began and, and to where you are in Rome, I would have to bounce over a lot of territory and I would have to neglect many, many people that don't yet know you. So he says, I, I can't do that. So we see from last week that Paul has spent so much time in those surrounding areas planting the gospel, allowing it to take root. And he, now as he's looking back, he says, okay, that's all been done. So that was, has hindered me for all these years, but now it's done. But I still want to come to you. But he says, but I can't. I can't because there was the, the people of Macedonia and the people of Achaia have, have gathered up resources to go help believers in Jerusalem that were suffering. And so he says, I, 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 I'm going to take the, what I've collected and I told them that I would go. So instead of coming right to you, I'm going to go back to Jerusalem. I'm going to share there, share these resources. I'm going to continue to build unity among the church between the Gentiles in the church and the Jews in the church, seek to bring harmony there, and then I'm coming for you. Paul had a huge heart. But Paul was not necessarily in this place concerned about his own personal desires. Because where Paul was writing this from, he was in the area of Corinth, which was about 1,500 miles from Rome. So Paul was closer now than he almost has ever been in his, his whole ministry to Rome. So Paul could have, at this moment, as he's ending up this letter, he could have personally delivered it to Rome. He was there. It was all done. But yet Paul chooses to follow what God has for him and to go a different way. So Paul, in essence, takes a 1,500-mile trip and makes it a 3,000-mile trip. Why? For the sake of Christ and for the call that Christ has placed on his life. Paul could have gone the easy way. Paul could have taken his, his desires, which were good desires. No one, can, no one can fault Paul for his desires. Paul wanted to take the gospel to Rome and then on to Spain. That's a great thing. You can't fault him for that. He had amazing desires, but the reality was his plans were always at the foot of Christ. Giving, giving the Lord opportunity to speak into the plans that he had for his life. So God had other plans for Paul. I think Paul is a great illustration. Paul gives us a great illustration, and he models the truth of Proverbs chapter 16, verses 1 through 3 and verse 9. This is what that proverb says. It says, The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. So commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. For the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. 
what great words of wisdom, what great words of, of truth, and, and what a great example we see in Paul. Paul was willing to lay his good desires and his great plans at the feet of Christ. He was willing to continually submitting, submit himself to Christ's plans in order to serve Christ through serving the church. You know, even in our own ways of making plans, it can, and I love how the proverb talks about the, the ways of man seem pure in his own eyes. You know, if we look at life through our own desires and our own plans, it's always, it's always going to seem right, right? We can sit around and we can justify anything we decide to do as long as it's good, right? Especially if it's good. If it's, if it's a good thing to do, we can rationalize it, we can justify it. But really, it may not be the right thing because God knows what exactly is right and what he wants us to do. So even though it may be a good thing, we have a hard time weighing our own motives sometimes. Like in essence, it may be right, it may be good, but it may not be the right exact thing that God wants us to do. And so we continually, though we have good desires and we have, we have what's pure in our own eyes, we allow, we give it to the Lord so that he can weigh it and so that he can speak into the things that we choose to do. So my, my question for us today is, as we look at, at this example Paul gives us, is do you, do, do I, have a great commission desire that speaks into the plans of my life, or the plans of your life? Or another way of saying this is, does the great commission have space to speak into your plans? Does the great commission speak into your plans? Like as, as a parent, as you make parental plans, does the Great Commission speak into those plans? As, as you're speaking, seeking a spouse or you're seeking, um, seeking a spouse, does the Great Commission speak into that? As you're thinking about what career path you want to take or if you want to accept this promotion or you want to go down, does the Great Commission speak into those things? Or is the Great Commission a second thought? So for Paul and for Christ, the mission of God was on the forefront. It was what led into every decision that was made. How is this decision going to help advance the kingdom of God? If it's not going to help advance the kingdom of God, then it's probably something that I need to not do. It's of utmost importance that as believers of Christ, that become that becomes the major thing through which we vet all opportunities and plans in life. So we see Paul was a, a builder of the church. Paul gives us a great example of being a servant of the church. But next we're going to see Paul is a, he nurtures relationships within the church. I love chapter 16. You know, so many times we, we come to passages of Scripture and we see lists of names. And if you're like me, naturally our, our desire or my thought is, is just to skip over to the end. Because I'm like, I can't pronounce any of these names. I don't know who these people are. I don't know what they're doing. Like if you're reading through Chronicles, you're like, wow, that's a lot of lists of names. 
Uh, earlier this month, I was reading through the, the allotment of land in the Old Testament after um, Joshua leads his people into the promised land, God's people into the promised land, and, and God begins to divvy out the land. It's like, and so-and-so gets this land, and so-and-so gets this land, and so-and-so, and it's overwhelming to me. And I know it's, it's, it's in the Bible, so it's, there's spiritualness to it, but sometimes I, I have a tendency to want to gloss over it. And we come to chapter 16 where you're going to see a list of names. And I think it's beautiful because we see in it, Paul has good plans, but his plans are always based in relationships. Look with me in, in chapter 16, beginning in verse 1. Paul says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church of Centricree, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worship worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Pisia and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ, who risk their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved E, who has the first convert in Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet A and J, my kinsmen and fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet A, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Er. Of your fellow worker in Christ and beloved, S, greet A, who is uh, approved of Christ, greet those belong to the family of A, greet my kinsman H, greet those of the Lord who belong to the family of N, greet those workers of the Lord and T and T, T and T, I like that one, uh, greet beloved P, who has worked hard for the Lord, greet Rufus, I like that, if I was going to have uh, another son, I would name him Rufus, because then we could be raising the Rufus. Get that? That's pretty good, right? Someone's going to take that. I know someday, but we can greet him. And so, if Rufus grows up in our fellowship, we can greet Rufus, who is chosen of the Lord. Also, his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet A and P and H and P and H and the brothers who are with them. Greet P, J, N, and his sisters and O and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Now, though. I don't know any of these people. Um, I do know that, that Paul was one that cared deeply for relationships. As he lived his life within the church, we see here in these, these 16 verses, Paul greets a list of people. He begins by talking about Phoebe. Phoebe was the one that Paul was asking to actually take this letter of Rome, the Roman letter to Rome, to give it to the church. And he says, now, you don't know her, I know her. And when she comes, accept the word that she has as though it comes from my very mouth and then bring her into your fellowship and allow her to be a part of you and give her whatever she needs because she's worthy. She's a servant. And then Paul goes on to continue to talk about a list of other peoples. There are 28 other individuals that Paul mentions. And we can see if we take a list of these people and we, we, we know a little bit about them, we can see that Paul's list of people that he wants to greet or he wants to send a greeting to, this list is extremely diversified. In this list were, were men, were women, were slaves, were freemen, were Jews, were Gentiles, were well-to-do people, those that were well thought of, those that were not anchors in society. Paul is, is greeting everyone. So it's as though Paul is saying, my relationships are so deep and so wide. 
Because of the love of Christ, it doesn't pigeonhole me into only having relationships with a certain type of person. But instead, I'm a type of person that lives for Christ, and I love everyone. So greet them. Could you imagine if you were a member of that church, and the letter of Romans comes to you, and you read that Paul is thinking about you? What if you're Rufus? And you're sitting there, and the the letter of Paul is read, uh, and he says, greet Rufus. And you're like, he thought of me. He cares for me. Like, I'm on his mind. That's an amazing thing. Paul mentions women, and we see that that, that women played a prominent role in the church and and towards seeing how women were... God was using women in the church to advance the gospel. We also see Paul mentions house churches. As though the, the, the church is in small groups of fellowship of believers meeting in homes is important for the kingdom of God. And they were on his mind. And through this, we also see the language that Paul uses is very honest. It's very positive. It's very affirming. So it's as though Paul is using language that shows a level of intimacy that reflects what he has heard about them and reflects his affection towards them. And then he ends that that, that passage by saying, greet one another with a holy kiss. So he's saying, not only just use words, but, but he gives an exhortation to show great affection towards one another, especially in a church and a group of people that were so divided on the world standards. Remember Rome? was a collection of Jews and Gentiles. And so what Paul is saying is, is I have great affection for you. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what standing you have in society or in culture or what your nationality is. Love one another. And so he exhorts them. He says, allow your love for one another to move you close so that you actually show affection. And that will freak out the world. How you love one another will freak out the world because the world cannot live in this kind of love. So greet one another with a holy kiss. When I I think about nurturing relationships, I, 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 I know we're different in the way that we nurture relationships, but we're called to nurture relationships. And you can look to the differences between Sarah and myself and the way we nurture relationships. We are so very different. Sarah is one that has friends, like that she keeps in contact with, all the way back from like kindergarten. How many of you are like that? You're like, I have friends, and your friends are so vast. Like you keep connections. You can be moved all the way around the country like Sarah has. You can move 18 different times in your life, and along the way you meet people, and you keep those relationships connected. They may not be super deep, but you've got relationships with people. Like you can look at the map, and you say, I got a friend there, 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 I got a friend there. That's Sarah. I'm on the other hand. I meet people along the way, but like Eric, unless they're like right here, they don't even exist. Like, I, I have fond, fond memories of them, but if, if, if you're here with me, then we are so relationally close. But if you live, like, three counties over, you're out of sight, out of mind. And so, in, in the same way, we may be different, and may, hopefully you can identify with either you're more like Sarah or you're more like me. In both of those ways, neither of them are wrong. Neither of them are bad. Neither of them are sinful. 
But we need to be reminded of the challenges of both. For me, the challenge is, is to, is when I'm here and I'm so deep with people, sometimes I forget those that still are in need because of distance. So I have to continually be pushed to look outward and to think about our friends that we've met throughout the years. Where Sarah may be challenged because she has such a wide variety of friends is it might be hard for her to find friendships that can be deep and be really meaningful where she's at. She may struggle to hold on to deep, meaningful relationships of the past and miss the opportunity of going deep now. Does that make sense? But Paul was, Paul was like that. And so he, he's, he's, he cared about relationships. And as you think about your relationships, think about the relationships that you have, those that are, that are those relationships with people within inside the church, inside the church in general. Are your relationships diverse? Like, can you look at your friends or those that you, you call your friends, and is it a diverse playing field? Is it littered with, with people that are new in their faith? Uh, are, are, do you have people that are, like, strong in their faith? Do you have people that are almost exactly where you're at in your faith? Are your friends made up of, of people that are different than you? Do you have friendships that are deep? Are you working hard to maintain friendships with people within the church? You know, it's, it's one of the struggles that we have at our campus is, is we, we meet on Sunday morning, but if you're not connected to a life group, you may not see each other for the whole week. We, we may only get a chance to hang out with one another for an hour on Sunday morning once a week. So one of the things we try to do is, is encourage life groups where you get a chance to, to gather throughout the week in someone's home from our church and then to, to, to increase that fellowship so that relationships can be nurtured, so that we can share and be encouraged and not only have our only encouragement on Sunday morning, but we can have it throughout the week. But at the heart of everything is a heart of care. Do we really care for people? When you see people, do you, can you see to their heart and to their need? And are you moved to draw close? Much of our work should be towards nurturing relationships. Developing strong relationships and building on them. Where we nurture the church, where we serve the church, where we build the church. And then Paul gives us one last example. He instructs us to be protectors of the church. Look with me in verse 17. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they, de- they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent and as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet, and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So Paul 
understands, and he says, one of the things you need to do is follow my example, is to protect the church. As you live within this community of the church, watch out, be vigilant, for not everyone that comes into the church will be seeking to, to serve the church and to grow the church and to grow in relationship. Some that, that you see as you begin to draw close to them, you will see that their heart is bent towards division. That instead of bringing unity, what they want to do is actually pre- pre- prevent unity and bring about division and distinction. Where we call people this and we call people that and we say us, they, them, and we use words like that that brings about distinction and division. Paul is very harsh and he says, those people are not seeking Christ. If you come to a place where you're in community and you people come into your fellowship and you hear words of division and discord and disunity, those people are not of Christ. They're seeking themselves. Instead, Paul instructs us to avoid those people. He says, be wise. Be wise. Look to what's good and know what is innocent so that you can discern that from what is evil. It is possible, it is possible for us at different times in our lives to be those people that cause divisions and create obstacles. It's, it's not beyond any of us. It's, it's easy for us because we're followers of Christ. It's easy for us to, at times, take our eyes off Christ and look at other things, and then those other things become the things that we focus in on and things that we complain about or things that we, we look at and we're like, I don't like that. And so it's, easy, it's possible. So Paul's not talking necessarily always about these, these false teachers that are coming in that, that hope to pull people away and start another cult or another religion. What he's talking about is sometimes believers will enter into the family of God and they will take their eyes off of Christ and they will walk in the flesh for a while. And in doing so, they will seek to divide. Instead of bringing unity to the body of Christ, they will split it apart and begin to splinter it. That's why I think I'm so thankful and intrigued by the fact that, that God has made the human body the way it is. Follow me with this. Now, if you look at your own body, there, there are parts of your body that you can see, right? But there are also parts of your body that you are unable to see unless you have a mirror. Think about that. How many of you can see the top of your head apart from a mirror? How many of you can see the back of your head or behind your ears or even your ear itself? Do you know it's there? You can't see it. You can touch it, but you can't see it. You can't see your backside. There's no way... So all you can see of yourself is what's in front and what's around. You can kind of see some of your backside. But there are parts of your body that you cannot even see. And I love the fact that that God has put us in the church together because we can watch each other's backsides. Like if, if there's something that begins growing in the middle of my back, unless I'm touching it, there's no way I can see it. But you can. Like if there's a, a huge cyst or something that's growing back there i might not know it's there but because i live among you you're watching my back and you're like hey jeff you got something growing back there you might want to get that checked out like no i don't see it i don't see a problem with that there's nothing back there right because i can't see it 
So what, what Paul is, is talking about is sometimes there'll be people that will come into the church like that. They'll take their eyes off of Christ and a cancer will be growing on them. And they need, we, we need each other to point those things out. And you know, as, as we draw close to one another in relationships, as we're supposed to, one of the things that we need to be aware of is that it, is that it may be tempting for us to value relationships over what is true. And have you ever found that the, the closer you get to someone, sometimes it's harder to tell them the truth because you don't want to hurt their feelings? Like say, so I've got this thing growing in my back or I've got something in my teeth because you can't see your teeth either, right? And you may just be like, oh, I don't want to say anything to him. He's got something in his mouth because that may embarrass him, right? And so instead of speaking the truth, we, we kind of want to go around it because of, of the relationship. We're like, oh, he'll figure it out. When he looks in the mirror, he'll see he's got something in his teeth. But so many times we, we may be tempted to want to do that. We may want to allow the relationship to trump what is true. And we don't want to speak words of truth because the relationship. And, and Paul's saying, don't allow the relationship to over, overshadow what is true. You must speak the truth. You must know the truth and speak it at the same time. Because it's not good to just allow the relationship. Because it'll hurt their feelings. We need to call out divisive behavior or divisive talk. And when we see those trying to develop obstacles between people, we need to work hard to call them what they are and knock them down. So in our lives, as Paul gives us great examples, we ask the Lord to help us grow in the way in which we help grow the church. We, we want to build the church on the foundation of Christ. We want to serve the church. We want to grow in our relationships and nurture relationships with one another, and we want to guard the church and guard each other from falling. Those are the words that Paul gives the church as he, he ends the book of Romans. He says, these are the things that you should do. These are the things that you should be about. And then he ends this amazing work. Remember, remember the book of Romans? You remember the, the depth and the breadth of the book of Romans? The first half of the book is this deep theological truth showing us how the God of the universe has broken down every barrier through Christ so that we can be in relationship with God, the God of the universe again. How because of Christ, before Christ, we're dead in our trespasses and sins, and there's no way in which we can know God apart from Christ. And then we see what Christ has done, and Christ has come to be the perfect sacrifice, to spill his blood and have his body broken for us, and to go to the grave and come back alive so that we place faith in the work of Christ, we can know God and become a child of him. That was the first half. And then the second half, he says, now because of this, this is how you live your life. You live your life differently as a believer in Christ. Your life should look completely different. You no longer conform yourself to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That our spiritual act of worship is laying ourselves daily before the throne of God, saying, God, use me however you see fit. Paul's given us great instructions along the way. And then he ends the book, this letter, with this beautiful doxology. 
And we're going to look, look with me in verse 20, 25. I thought it'd be most appropriate that we use Paul's doxology as our doxology as we end our time together. Paul's going to beautifully summarize all of Romans in a few verses. So let's use this as our close. God, as we look to you, we know you. We know that you are able to strengthen according to the gospel and to the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation, the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but now has been disclosed, disclosed, and through the prophetic writings has made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forever, evermore through Christ Jesus. Father, we thank you that you are a God that has not left us here to wonder about this world not knowing. But Father, that you've placed on our hearts and in our very beings a whole where we know that we're born without you and we're born knowing that we need you. And Father, we see throughout just your very creation that you are there and that we are accountable to you. We know this because you've written it in our hearts. And Father, we know that there are many, we are surrounded by people daily that are living their lives, striving to fill that hole with so many other things. But Father, we thank you that we have found Christ and that you have sent Christ so that he would show us the way to be reconciled back to the Father. Father, that is the gospel. That is the good news. And Father, that you have given it to us to be stewards of that gospel. Not only do we live in the gospel daily, but you have called us to share it. And so, Father, I pray that as you are at work among our friends, among our coworkers, among our family, among our community, among our nation, and in this world, Father, I know as you are in the process of calling men to yourself, men and women to yourself, that you have placed us here to be your hands and feet. So, Father, As we leave today, may the words of Romans chapter 1, 16 be our marching orders. For Father, we are not ashamed of the gospel, but we know that it's this gospel that brings power and life. In Jesus' name we pray.